The Big Picture, a Christian insight into the world of movies, television and pop culture with magazine editor Ben McKechn and scriptwriter Mark Hadley. A Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. How you going? I'm Ben McKechn. And I'm his undead friend, Mark Hadley. Welcome to episode 112 of The Big Picture for the week beginning June 19. And coming up on today's show... Tom Cruise wants his mummy. But should we? Is Rough Night the female version of The Hangover? Plus love and genocide in The Promise. And we ask a Christian comedian, what can we laugh at? Hello and hello. Hello there. <laughs> mate, how's stuff? Uh, mate, it's fantastic. I'm just looking ahead at the show and thinking, my goodness, we've got a mixed bag. Lots yeah, of good stuff coming very up. Very much so. Hello, Sam Robinson. Gentlemen, how are we? <laughs> We've such a grand, such a a grand, that just sounds so grand coming out of your mouth, gentlemen. <laughs> and a special hello to our national audience, and the more stations will be added as the weeks go by. Oh, yeah. Hello, national audience. That's it. All right, what's it? The movies <laughs> for the national audience. <laughs> hello, national audience. Um, the opening at cinemas last Thursday um, in time for school holidays, Despicable Me Me 3. Despicable Me 3, the third dose of bad guy grew is at cinemas right now. Um, go and check out Mark's preview of Despicable Me 3. You can find it at eternitynews.com.au. This scintillating little video we like to call Hollywood Teaches Kids to Fail. Hollywood mm. Teaches Kids to Fail. Find out more over at Eternity News. Despicable Me 3. Also opening at uh, cinemas last Thursday, Gents, something entirely different. The biopic about murdered rapper Tupac Shakur, All Eyes on Me. So I think if you're a fan of things like Straight Outta Compton or anything else, Hippity and Hop... You might be into All Eyes on Me. I'm I, guessing not you, Ben. I, I like a bit of the hippities and the hops, yeah. but uh, I'm not a Tupac Shakur fan. No, I'm not. All I'm right. down with it. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Hadley, what's on TV? I, sorry, I couldn't even carry it myself. Okay, look, um, if, you're, if you're in favour of a good rant, which I am always, um, check out Season 7 of Sean McAuliffe's Mad as Hell. Uh, season 7? Season 7. Look, honestly, the first six just flew by. I love this series. It's kicking off again Wednesday, June 21. See him dishing up more of his wry original insights into politics and pop culture. Um, guys, this is just a funny way of looking at ourselves, particularly in Australia. He so is I, a very shrewd chap. He is he's actually a very clever thinker and not a fun, not a bad funny guy either. Look, also new on Netflix this week, and I emphasise new, um, is the release of season six of Baby Daddy. Now, season you might not, six? You might not be familiar with this. Baby because, Daddy? Because a lot of it's coming all at once. <laughs> like, I think Netflix is doing all six seasons at once. But basically, this American... Hello, s- national audience. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this American sitcom follows Ben, a man in his 20s, who gets the surprise of his life when a casual relationship leaves him with a baby on his doorstep. Uh, ben decides to raise this little girl with the help of his brother, Danny, and his two close friends, Riley and Tucker, and his sometimes overbearing mother, Bonnie. <laughs> I know. Does this sound familiar? This yeah. sounds like... Yeah, it's three men and a baby. <laughs> yeah. And they've turned into a TV series. We were here 25 years ago with Tom Selleck, but it's new. <laughs> I don't know how they got six and seasons out of it. And they called it Baby Daddy. Baby Daddy, yeah. But season right. six... Like, it was a stretch for two hours. Okay, here we go. On to you, Sam. Yeah, let's get a true or false... Well, let's actually get into true or false for this week. Um, What was the strangest thing to happen to Christian Bale during the filming of Batman? You might wonder why we're talking about Christian Bale's because he's coming up in The Promise later in the show. Are you going to be talking about that? We're talking about that. Love and genocide combine in The Promise. I'm very curious to hear how that's even possible. Well, it's quite an amazing film, so stay tuned for The Promise. But Christian Bale, okay, better known as being the Dark Knight, during the filming of Batman, something particularly weird happened, or one of the many weird things, 
things, and this was the weirdest. Was it A, uh, he was running late to an urgent appointment at his children's school and unable to remove the tight Batman suit, he simply went in costume? Okay, or B, um, the uh, Christian Bale, uh, sorry, was uh, in a, a, the Batmobile when a slightly intoxicated driver in Chicago mistook it for a UFO and crashed into it in an attempt to prevent an alien invasion. I really hope that's okay. number, I'm going with number and two. C, um, he's such a method actor, as everybody knows, Christian Bale's a real method actor, that he got so into character, he was unable to stop talking like Batman for three weeks after the ending of principal filming. Please be the alien invasion one. <laughs> yeah, please look, tell me that's come true. Come back after our next review. And, well, actually, no, just hang around and uh, we'll give you the answer to that one. All right. Well, speaking of that, newsflash, men, Tom yes. Cruise is a mummy's boy. <laughs> it's official. Yes, it is official. He's also one of the world's biggest names in movies and Cruise's latest is yet another screen story about the return of an ancient, cursed and bandaged Egyptian undead. The Mummy is your latest blast of blockbuster entertainment, but it's also a surprising commentary about what we can hope for from life after death. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I saw her. She is real. Please meet Princess Arminette. She will claim what she has been denied. I'm sorry, is that Russell Crowe? Yeah, not to be confused with Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I just thought like it's all Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, Tom you Cruise. You didn't know Russell Crowe's in this? I didn't know the Maximus in himself. <laughs> it is Maximus, the Crow and the Cruise together, I think for the first time. Um, Russell Crowe is actually playing Dr. Jekyll, as in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde fame. Really? In, That's literally his name? It's, uh, it's, his name is Dr. Jekyll, but he may, he may also show up as Mr. Hyde at some point in this, uh, in this movie. Uh, this is because... Hang on. Hang on a second. This, this is a weird mesh of worlds. Have we got the right film? Yeah, yeah. This is the... So, this I'm still talking about The Mummy. Oh, but so this, it's not a subtle plot. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hoping to build up a universe of other monster movies, that uh, particularly the ones that Universal Studios created back in the 1930s. Oh, so, okay. So, there's allegedly going to be more movies in the... Like, following on from The Mummy, if The Mummy goes all right, which I think it's been going okay around the world of box offices. So, we should be getting Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, Invisible Man, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde, who the character that Russell Crowe's playing seems like he might be kind of the linchpin between all of those monster movies. But here we've got this one, The, the Mummy, and Tom Cruise is playing Nick, who's a soldier of fortune, this kind of mercenary guy running around at the start of the movie in Iraq. He, mm. as as you know, tends to happen, uncovers an ancient burial tomb. Of course, he and this um, archaeologist expert science lady chick that he's like kind of the love interest called Jenny played by Annabelle Wallace of course the two of them kind of stumble upon this ancient burial tomb and of course they unleash what is clearly locked up inside but they do whatever they can pretty much to you know like set this free <laughs> which is what Russell Crowe was talking about in that clip. I'm sorry they come to this tomb which has got like big weights on top of it or something and just things that are like you know do not open signs and they go mm. yeah and they do and pretty much just <laughs> unleash the fury that is Princess Arminette who is this ancient, accursed Egyptian princess who basically just wants to take over the world as an undead goddess. Okay, look, this is about as recycled as movies come. Yeah. Um, 
is there anything original or interesting in it? Look, um, like as I as I mentioned, this is kind of flowing out of the, a lot of monster movies from the from the thirties and between now and then. What that's that's been like what eighty years or almost ninety years, and we've had loads mm. of different variations on the mummy. Even though you can't really vary the mummy too much, it's, it's so like, common. I, honestly, I wouldn't open an Egyptian tomb to save my life. I know, I know, I know, but. Um, Look, after that Brendan Fraser trilogy that was around the, in the late 90s, um, in the 2000s, those mummy films, a lot of people liked, enjoyed those. Um, what's what's the same about this one is it's the same, it's a similar kind of adventure, not nearly as adventurous as those mummy films, not that kind of Indiana Jones feel. It's more mm. of a, more of a kind of straight bat, um, like a monster movie. But here's another big shock, or not really, it's an origin story. Oh! And I think where the film ends up actually is a bit stronger than the movie overall. So mm. I actually I actually kind of liked how it set up a further franchise if it's actually going to get that far. But you've got the usual procession of explosions and fights and preposterousness. And have, have we got anything new? I mean, honestly, what what is the... Why do we even have I, a mummy? I reckon the, the, the newest aspect of it comes to this uh, Russell Crowe character, what uh, Dr. Jekyll is doing, and he's basically running this kind of underground operation um, ar- around the world, a little bit like a spy agency, but for... Uh, but against monsters, like looking into monsters, but they're trying to take a scientific approach to monsters and uh, are looking for evil in the world, but treating evil like a sickness, which is what Dr. Jekyll says. Evil's a sickness and possibly Tom Cruise, who's kind of linked into this uh, mummy situation, he might possibly be the cure. So there's a pretty fascinating idea going on in this that possibly evil could be scientifically like studied, analysed and cured. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, what does it say about life after death? You know, being the mummy, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's um, there, There's loads of um, sort of like a, a Christian language for like one of a better term, resurrection, afterlife, all that kind of stuff pops up, you know, thousands of years after Jesus set the real benchmark for that, I reckon. Um, but one of the things that I found a little bit disappointing about this mummy, like a lot of other undead movies, gentlemen, if you think, or TV shows, if you think about anything from those early mummy movies in the 30s, then fast forward through the 70s, you get Neither Living Dead, and you could talk about Walking Dead on TV now, Shaun of the Dead, all these kind of undead movies. What I think they all <laughs> have going for them, or not going for them as the case may be, is very similar in this mummy and Life After Death, which is they've got no imagination. They're always kind of hopeless, and like, and, and and there's no positivity. They're just kind of you have a brain dead, empty, lifeless existence uh, in life after death. And if you contrast that with like a guy who actually rose from the dead, Jesus, and what he said and what he promised, and I'm the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me, if they, even if they die, will live. This amazing promise of life after mm. death into eternity with Jesus is incredible and i think like imagine if you tried to inject that kind of life into the undead up on screen it would like certainly cheer things up a little bit oh certainly you it, wouldn't it wouldn't sound so hopeless <laughs> it wouldn't no. people wouldn't be going around trying to munch brains and that kind of thing there'd be way less doom and gloom that might have spiced things up in the mummy but instead it's just an okay blockbuster that could set up a more interesting franchise to come hmm. All right, well, The Mummy stars Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe, and Sophia Botella and Annabelle Wallace. It's showing now at a cinema near you and is rated M for supernatural themes, violence, and sustained threat. 
But you only think it's a bit threatening, don't you? I mean? think it's like sporadically threatening. Yeah, okay, sporadically. Right. Threatening. That might be too long for the poster. That might be the All right. <laughs> we need a true or false answer from you, Mark. Indeed, we? we do. Okay, so Christian Bale, during the filming of Batman, basically, what was the weirdest thing that happened? Mm-hmm. Was he running late and had to turn up to his child's school appointment fully in costume because he couldn't get out? Uh, was <laughs> Did a slightly intoxicated driver mistake the Batmobile as a UFO and crash into it to prevent the invasion of Earth? Or uh, was he such a method actor that he couldn't get rid of the voice for three weeks? I really hope that Alien Invasion is so true because if you made that up, I'm I'm terribly impressed. That well, you I am a that writer. Story. Yeah, okay, I'm going to say A. Okay, so you're going for the couldn't get out of the yes. costumes because mm-hmm. it does take hours and hours and hours to put those things on, um, and you want the Alien Invasion. I do. Points go to the Alien Invasion. It is true. Yes. A, a slightly intoxicated driver in Chicago mistook the Batmobile for a UFO and <laughs> taking this, taking it seriously that somebody had to stop this alien invasion, ploughed his car into the multi-million dollar <laughs> Batmobile, basically thereby crippling you know, the, the, the production for the short period of Holy time. Holy alien invasion. I know. Take that. All right. Coming up on the big picture, Mark, Gate crashes the mother of all hen's nights, rough night. And a Christian comedian answers an all-important question. What can we laugh at? Welcome back to the show. And here we are at the soundtrack segment. Now, this week, we're actually going to take the territory of the documentary into a particular genre that documentaries love to live in, and that's basically the life of a star. Famous people. Indeed. So this week, Whitney, Can I Be Me, has been released at selected cinemas, and it's giving an evocative view into the dizzying highs and lows of the legendary singer's life. So we figured, why not kick off by having Whitney Houston's How Will I Know?
how will I know? Actually, ironic, really, given the title of the documentary about her life is Can I Be Me? <laughs> you know, um, the guy behind this documentary, Nick Broomfield, is a British documentarian who's made loads of uh, documentaries about famous people. And he like he's covered a, ra- a whole variety of famous people. So he's gone from everyone from Kurt Cobain... Uh, and Courtney Love and Biggie and Tupac like talk about Tupac Shakur Hmm. to Sarah Palin and Eileen Warnos who was the woman who inspired the film Monster that Charlize Theron won the Oscar for so uh, Nick Broomfield has done loads of various documentaries about all kinds of famous people now including Can I Be Me's Whitney Houston Well, bachelor party films are one of the most enduring genres of modern Hollywood. Every year sees the release of another Bucks or Hen's Night Out, striving for that ultimate night of freedom before the doors of matrimony close. This week saw the release of Rough Night, a Hen's Night starring A-lister Scarlett Johansson, that's right, the Black Widow herself, and also uh, her own big bash or having her own big bash before heading down the aisle. Mark says Rough Night definitely puts relationship front and centre, but it's not marriage. That's the big winner. Katniss, let go of Etsy's ponytail right now! Hello? Hey, I am so psyched for your bachelorette weekend. Stop running! We are peaceful protesters! Okay, I gotta head to a bachelorette! Mommy, do you have to go to Miami? I really do. The party starts now! That was bad. Mm. Yeah, we're in an airport. Go, go, get out of here. Scarlett Johansson plays Jess, a beautiful bride-to-be, getting ready for a night out with her girlfriends, and it's full of all the sorts of things that you sadly stand for hen's nights and bucks parties. There's lots of shots, shaming, drugs, and, of course, strippers. And, of course, the girls managed to kill theirs. Uh, and so what then <laughs> follows... What? Yes, I know. I know. Okay. <laughs> then in Rough Night, what follows is kind of like the hangover meets Weekend at Bernie's. You know, so it's just, <laughs> Welcome back, Weekend at Bernie's. I know, we've got a corpse to get rid of. What are we going to do? Here's some hijinks that trying to do it. That was a funny film. It, it was a funny film. It's amazing that it doesn't seem to have translated well into this one. Oh. Uh, Jess and her posse of best friends sort of basically do all sorts of dubious and apparently hilarious things, trying to cover up their crime, but the stupidity, it, the whole thing just wears thin after mm. a while. It just isn't enough to keep laughter in the bounds of reality. Um, so the, in the end, I was basically left thinking that this had to be some favour Scarlett Johansson owed to someone <laughs> because no one could read this script and rate it more than a five out of ten. Wow. Uh- um, what the Classification Board of Australia have rated uh, a rough night is MA15+. Plus. Is that is it, is it just the crudity about this movie that got you down? Look, I'm not a big fan of jokes about sex, to be sure, but sometimes they can be funny. I mean, we can laugh at sex in the way that we can laugh at many things when yep. we see the incongruity yep. and that sort of stuff. That, that's okay. Uh, but, you know, this is more like laugh at... Uh, a ma- an adult man in diapers, you know, sort of oh, territory. Uh, this is um, uh, only so many fake fallacies you can see. Worse, the direction of the humour is that there's nothing clever. Like, it's just puerile after a while. There's no clever observations about men or women, just an insight into an evening every sensible person would probably try and forget. Um, in the, uh, as Sam just mentioned in the intro to, to Rough Night, that you reckon there's some kind of significant relationship, though, in Rough Night. Yes, <laughs> How does all that go on in, yes, in this film that sounds it's like just, it's got nothing significant at all? It's just not marriage. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the weird thing. Uh, it's that this film, okay, there's no doubt that Jess, you know, the key character, loves a fiancé, Peter. There's a lot of dialogue making it clear. They must say, I love you to each other about 20 times. Uh, but the most significant relationship in Jess' life is that uh, is a friend's. 
you know, because they're the ones who are challenging her and transforming her, and they're the ones who are actually caring for her, and they're the ones who are there for her. There is an attempt for the fiancé to sort of get in there and try and save the day, but honestly, it's a bit lame. This isn't a movie about marriage so much as one about enduring friendship and what it means to be a best friend, you know, always there, always caring and aware and speaking the truth and Mm. sacrificing. But strangely, um, that's not your fiancé. (laughs) <laughs> and ah, it's, it's, ah. it's just kind of weird that it like the if she really wanted to marry the people who cared for her the most Jess probably would have ended up marrying her best friends you went to a preview of this the other night I'm presuming at that preview a lot of uh, people who are in the target market for this film would have been in that audience and I'm particularly thinking of women <laughs> like were there women in the audience and did they seem to get into this listen when somebody laughed in that cinema it startled me <laughs> I almost dropped my popcorn because I was like oh what was that sound because it was so unusual for the two-hour period we were there. Somebody actually said to me, rate this film out of ten, and I counted the three times I went, huh, which was three, (laughs) and went, well, that must be three out of ten. Look, it's... I don't think anybody really enjoyed this film and that's really quite strange because I would... There are lots of observations about what it's like, possibly, to be a woman uh, at a hen's night, but it was... None of it was just clever or thoughtful or insightful. None of it was reflecting back on ourselves. It was just repetitive. I've been trying to gather the pieces of this story uh, and, and <laughs> mm. I'm feeling that it's a marriage movie that's not about marriage. No, it's not. And this is the interesting thing is that, like, God points to marriage for most of us as the most significant relationship you'll ever enter into. But Pete, the fiancé, is frankly so metrosexual. Metrosexual? <laughs> I haven't heard that word for a while. He's, well, he's so completely, you know, non-threatening, vanilla. There's not a trace of masculinity in him. Um, he attempts to man up, but, you know, basically he's more bumbling saviour than buff hero or anything like that. <laughs> not that everybody has to, like, men have to be men's men. You know, not, not everybody has to be Russell Crowe. Okay, but, <laughs> but Rough Knight's concept of marriage is so non-judgmental that Pete has no problem with Jess going away to Miami for a weekend of debauchery with her friends. He doesn't offer a, a single critical sentence at any point or judgment of her. It's just so supportive as to be nothing. You know, God's idea of marriage is one where each partner lifts each other up and also challenges each other. It mm-hmm. sharpens each other. And, and there's just none That's of that going. to enhance and improve. Yeah, it's that, just mm. completely missing in Rough Night. Mm. It's kind of like, oh, I suppose you could go along if, you know, you, you know who, if you had a friend who was in a coma, take them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you've been warned. Rough Night is rated MA15 plus for strong, crude sexual humour, coarse language and drug references. It stars Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Kate McKinnon, Zoe Kravitz, Demi Moore, uh, Gillian Bell, and Colton Haynes. It's probably worth uh, not going to see at the movies. No, no, it isn't. What is worth seeing, though, is some new look videos from the big picture. We're not only a radio program, gents. Oh, yes, we actually have He's saying new look. We ha- new look. <laughs> yes. There's a new look video for, um, format thing happening from oh. the big picture. And I, you can I go- wear my cat backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, It's so now. Yeah, you can find it so now over on Facebook, Big Picture Show. Uh, Find us, like us, share us, all that kind of thing. Basically, make us viral. That's what we want you to do. Make us viral. If you wouldn't mind. (laughs) All right, well, coming up on the Big Picture, does the Bible promote genocide? That's a big question we'll be tackling. Mm. And Mark has seen how love and death collide in the new historical drama, The Promise, which stars Christian Bale. Hey, welcome back to the show. The Promise is a World War One film that will show you part of that conflict most people know nothing about and much of the world is deliberately trying to forget. 
The Promise stars Oscar Isaac as Michael, a young Armenian medical student who falls in love with Anna, a governess played by Charlotte Le Bon. The problem is Anna already has a sweetheart, Christian Bale as the American reporter Chris Myers. Will their promises be enough to carry them through the conflict ahead? Tell me about Constantinople. It can be magical. In the Grand Bazaar, you could buy the finest fashions from Paris and London, the latest automobiles from America. It can be horrible too, just like any great city. Were you happy there? It was a different life. A toast to old friends and new. Christopher Myers. Chris is a star reporter for the Associated Press. May I introduce Mademoiselle Anna Kassari. You're going to become a doctor. I hear a French accent. I lived in Paris for many years, but I'm a proud Armenian. Mikhail, you make me feel I've come home. I don't think there's been many films about the Armenian genocide, right? Like, did you know much about it, Mark, before I, you I went and saw it? I knew next to nothing. Okay, and, and I don't I'm know actually, about it. I'm a, I make historical documentaries, and I even make historical documentaries in this part of the world, and I knew nothing. I mean, I really was quite ignorant of basically the death of one and a half million people at the beginning of, of the 20th century. One and uh, a half million? I know, that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, basically, um, so you, I think the trailer tells everything you need to know about the film, which is basically a love triangle between Chris... Uh, the American reporter, uh, Anna, the uh, sort of governess, and Mikhail, the the Armenian-born uh, um, uh, medical student. Uh, but basically, uh, what it really is is a vehicle to tell you about what happened when Turkey, uh, the Ottoman Empire, basically decided that they'd had enough of uh, the Armenian ethnic group and so moved in for ethnic cleansing. Uh, and one and a half million people were killed, not to mention the millions that were uh, deported uh, and relocated forcibly. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a horrible section of history i just was completely amazed that it's a tragedy the world should know much more about and weirdly that is still going on because the armenians don't actually have a country there's no armenia on the map and yet they do have traditional homelands that stretch stretch across turkey and uh, across iran uh, sorry, not Iran, Iraq. Uh, and so you have uh, a situation where there's still a persecuted people group. And I think this film will actually shed a great deal of light on that. Um, shed some light for us, would you, on the title of the film, The Promise. It's so kind of vague and slightly enigmatic. What on earth is The Promise mm. f- talking about? I started racking up promises on the way through the film because I was thinking to myself the same thing. You know, what is this film about? It's clearly about a promise. Now, initially, Mikhail makes a promise to his village sweetheart before God I'm coming back and I'm going to come and marry you and he does it in a church it's a betrothal but he breaks that promise because he has uh, a a relationship a physical one with uh, Anna and so in a sense he makes a promise to her now with his body that he loves her and he's going to follow that promise through and that does seem to drive a lot of the plot but then he even takes a a back seat when they get separated for a long time and Mikhail's promise now becomes something to his people and to his family about preserving their you know, even at the expense of himself. So there's a lot of promises going on and interesting, a lot of broken promises too. Um, I don't know if that's the metaphor for the film overall, that there are promise, you know, there are things that we commit ourselves to and it also seems that life makes it almost impossible for us to keep those commitments. Yeah, right. Uh isn't there a Armenian Orthodox? Yes, yeah, so there's actually a very strong Christian 
core that runs right through this oh, there film. Is? Yeah, there's a rich history of the Armenian church. Um, you know, the, the relationship with Jesus it features prominently in the film. They're often talking about who they believe in them and, and they're praying for each other and they're doing things like this. I, I guess, to be honest, this could almost be an Armenian Orthodox Christian film. It doesn't in any way come off as a religious film, but there's a lot of it that's naturally in there. And one of the things that's naturally in there is the way that they talk about thanking God. I mean, and, and so here we are. If you put all your main characters in basically what is a genocidal situation, um, many people would take that as reason that there is no God. Mm, a and, lot of people make that argument. Yeah, yeah. Mm. and yet weirdly um, what you've got is Mikhail thanking God regularly in the most awful situations. I mean, you just listen Thanking God out. for what? Well, this is the weird thing that you, you listen out to the way he uses the phrase. Like the phrase, thank God, gets used a lot by Mikhail, and it also gets um, uh, used by Chris Myers. The difference between them is the American is like, thank God, like something impossible happened. Um, and basically Mikhail is saying, thank God, because there is somebody who's keeping his promise. You know, there is a promise mm. keeper in the middle of it who's sustaining them all. And I think that basically says there are two ways you can go through bad times, believing there is someone there for you or believing that you're just there on your own. So, Mark, um, before before you wrap up, um, I'm just trying to understand whether you're recommending we should go see this or not. Like, am I hearing this as a, a good drama love triangle movie about genocide like all of this is actually going together as a film i'm glad you actually sort of you know brought me back to that point because the truth is it's a little of a it's a difficult thing um it's like saying i recommend you go see schindler's list mm. you know you mm. are going to be sitting in, through a film that will take you through powerful territory um that will challenge you and emotionally move you um and for christians it will also it's part of the christian heritage if you like of you know what these sort of faith-based people were doing and trying to survive so i feel like it's very valuable to see but i think i would go in knowing that you're actually looking at a film that is going to rock you to some degree the Promise stars Christian Bale, Charlotte Le Bon and Oscar Isaac. It's rated M for Mature Themes and Violence and opened nationally last Thursday, June 15. Well, Mark just brought us up and close with, uh, and personal as well with mm. The Promise, a love triangle movie set during the little-known Armenian genocide of the early 20th century. It really, like, I'm, I'm still kind of flabbergasted a bit at like, how much I don't know about mm. that period, period of Absolutely. history. I'm a little bit shamed about that, it actually. Is a, it's shameful because, and it's just incredibly how so, successful so little people have been in, in hushing it up. Yeah. yeah. Well, genocide has been a disturbing and atrocious reality throughout human history. Uh, we've all heard about people trying to destroy other races. And when genocide is mentioned, many people actually think of the Bible, mm. particularly the Old Testament, and accuse God of being a supporter of entire races being wiped out. But is that true? We asked Bible Society CEO and social commentator Greg Clark one of the toughest questions. Does the Bible actually promote genocide? He came to preach peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, that's Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. That's from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And we'll come back to that. Well, in this social media age, we're more aware than ever of terrible events around the world. Things that we once only heard about in history lessons long after the event now occur in real time, right in front of our eyes on our smartphones. We see wars start. We see interracial violence break out. Leaders topple, all on our Facebook pages and Twitter feeds. 
This makes it really hard to read some passages of the Bible where God seems to condone or even command violence against nations, even to the point of genocide. It's hard material to read and even harder to understand. Let me suggest a few perspectives that might help us come to grips with it. First, I have to be clear that the Bible condemns murder on any scale, whether it's the one-on-one Cain murdering his brother Abel in Genesis type of thing, or en masse. It's part of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. So any such killing must be an exception rather than a norm. Now secondly, there is a time in the Bible, a period of time, where God was judging nations that had opposed his chosen people. And you can read about this in parts of the books called Exodus, Numbers and Judges. And during that period, God does use his people Israel to bring judgment on other nations who have repeatedly, deliberately and viciously opposed God. It doesn't sit easily with any of us as 21st century readers, but I think we may have lost a sense of just how much God values love and faithfulness and goodness and is aggrieved by the opposite. But after Jesus, everything is different. Jesus breaks down all the barriers between people, as our Bible quote tells us. And the New Testament, where we hear the teachings of Jesus explained, thoroughly condemns violence between races and actively promotes peace between all people, in fact, people who would never normally have given each other the time of day. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is about, where people whose races are in conflict are actually praised for helping each other in their time of need. And at the end of the Bible, in that amazing book called Revelation, there's this beautiful picture of what God's world will look like in the future. It's going to be a place where all nations, all tribes, all races of the world are welcomed in. And there's a symbolic tree that produces leaves for the healing of the nations. It's a beautiful picture. As our Bible verse from Ephesians emphasized, all races and all nations are welcomed into the household of God through Jesus Christ. That's where we are today. Well, interracial hatred and violence is a very big part of world affairs, whether it's the Middle East or Africa or on the streets of the Australian suburbs, and it is detestable. And according to the message of Jesus, there is no justification for it. Today, Christians must be associated with peace. We must love those who are different to us, even if they are our enemies. We must reach out across barriers and borders and care for everyone, regardless of their nationality, their language or their skin colour, or even their religion. Clearly, we Christians still have a long way to go in getting this right. Please pray with us and please pray for us. Well, you can actually get more from Greg Clark, who's not just a regular on the big picture. He's a contributor monthly to Eternity News. Now, eternitynews.com.au is the place to go and check him out. Um, And you'll also find all sorts of thoughtful things about him. Uh, Basically, we think he's actually a great thinker we were just saying oh, as he was, my goodness is he a thinker uh, he's like he's one like of those a guys walking brain box. i know he can just pull <laughs> incredible thoughts out there and so one of the interesting articles he actually has there at the moment is try a little kindness which is an interesting concept uh, certainly for a sort of utilitarian age that we live in uh, so we recommend trying a little bit of greg and some of his articles from eternitynews.com.au Coming up on The Big Picture, we're moving from what the Bible says about genocide to comedy. Yes, we're going to ask Christian comedian Hannah Boland, what can we laugh at? And Ben dares to list off the top five safe comedies. Welcome back to the show. Well, earlier in the show, Mark reviewed the new adult comedy Rough Night. And one of the most difficult things about checking out a new comedy at the movies is wondering what it'll be asking us to laugh at and should we find it funny? Well, Hannah Boland is a Christian and a professional stand-up comedian, and that's not a joke. She joins us right now for our press record interview spot this week so we can finally find out 
What on earth we can laugh at? Hello, Hannah. Hello. Hey, Hannah, thanks for joining us on The Big Picture. You are a Christian and a professional stand-up comedian. How long have you been combining those two things? I've been doing it for about four years now, so... Yeah, enough of a way into it to know that it faces some um, fairly significant challenges. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would have thought so. What kind of reaction do you get when you say, hey, I'm a funny Christian, professionally? <laughs> well, I don't generally phrase it that way. Don't I you? You should. Say. Like, get some business cards and stuff. People will love that. <laughs> no, well, it's it's funny. Um, like, when, when I tell other Christians or are approaching churches... Um, you know, I, I come under quite severe scrutiny, and I think mm. um, I think it's a bit of a reflection of how the the stand up comedy scene is in Australia at the moment, because people are so um, repulsed by a lot of the humour that is out there, and they're very very wary of me. Um, but in, in the secular sort of um, industry, um, people don't care. You know, if you're funny, you're funny. And one of my favourite things is um, after I've done you know a secular show. Um, this has happened so many times, you know, these big burly sound techs and video guys who've, you know, um, serviced the show for me, they come up to me afterwards and they shake my hand and they say, that was so funny and I I can't believe I just sat through an hour and a half of comedy without any swearing or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, crass humour and laughed because, you know, these are guys that are are used to working backstage with some of the roughest guys in the industry and, um, yeah, that that totally makes my day when that happens. Yeah, now, Hannah, let's cut to the chase. What can we laugh at? Tell us. You know, I'm glad you asked me that question because it's actually the wrong question to ask. What? (laughs) Hannah, okay. What's the better question to ask? Well, I think, you know, the Bible actually talks about, um, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think that is very true when it comes to comedy as well, because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all different. We've been created differently. And because of that, we see the world in different ways and we have freedom to do that. And of course, what we laugh at is going to be a reflection of that. So what one person finds funny is not necessarily what another person finds funny. Um, and it really comes down to a hard issue. Um, and so, 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 Hannah, so Hannah, then moving on, so, so taking, that, taking that idea of it's, it's a hard issue, what kind of quick tips then have you got for us to, like, to actually go about selecting TV and movie comedies, though? Like, how, how do you apply your own heart to making those choices? Yeah, it's, you know, we want hard and fast rules, and <laughs> it's one of those things that I don't think there is. I think my, my best suggestion with that would be is, when you um, go to a show or watch a movie, um, have an open mind about it. Um, I, I think we can become offended too easily. Mm. And, you know, even if there are... You're talking we as in people who are Christian. Uh, well, definitely Christians, but yeah. people in general. As right. well, we, we can become offended very easily. Um, and I think oftentimes um, there's going to be things in, in shows and movies that offend us, but if we can... If we can be a little bit resilient to that, there still might be great value in that particular storyline um, if we can just sort of get past our own offence for a bit. That being said, you know, if something truly is um, rubbing you the wrong way or offending you, be prepared to switch it off or walk out of the theatre um, because a lot of people are afraid to, to do that. They just sort of think, oh, I'm here now, I'll, I'll watch it to the end. And, and really, if it's, if it's offending you that deeply, be prepared to leave. Mm. Hannah Boland, thank you very much for joining us on The Big Picture. Getting to the heart of the matter of what can we actually laugh at. Uh, To find out much more about Hannah, particularly her touring dates and where she'll be doing stand-up comedy, go over to hannahboland.com.au. Thanks, Hannah. My pleasure.
Uh, you can also find out more about Hannah Boland over at insights.uca.org.au. Insights are big supporters of us here at The Big Picture. Um, we support plenty of things that they do, including this uh, great article they published that Hannah wrote called Does God Have a Sense of Humor? So following on from that conversation we just had then with Hannah about making choice about what we laugh at, she's gone even further into Christianity and jokes and the like by daring to ask, does God have a sense of humor? You can find that and much more at insights, insights.uca.org.au. Oh, ho, ho, top five time. <laughs> what kind of laugh is that? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a Twin Peaks laugh. <laughs> it's creepy. Oh, man, we will be talking about that on the show next week. I'm pumped about talking about Twin Peaks, but we're not there yet. We're up to top five. And unlike Twin Peaks, which is the weirdest show going around on TV, what we're about to do here on the top five is the top five safe comedies mm. the top five safe comedies following on from what hannah just helped us understand about making decisions around comedies um i, I have dared to put together a list that of all the films on this list are wait for it g-rated Whoa. So, so we're talking slight laugh not too much belly. oh find out <laughs> all right let's get to it five prepare to laugh at me for what i'm about to express about how much i love this film from 2007 enchanted Remember Enchanted with Amy Adams, that that Disney film? Why, why are you turning your faces <laughs> up actually, like that? What actually, you... I don't. What? I've never seen well, it. I think are you joking? You, you have a daughter, right? But, no, I, I have a daughter now, but when I saw Enchanted, I did not, and I still loved it. Amy Adams, this great Disney movie where she starts off as a as a cartoon princess, and then through um, some you know fairy tale course of events, falls down a wishing well, ends up in modern day New York as a real live live action person and then proceeds to like fall in love with Patrick Dempsey but she acts like a princess in New York City it's fantastic and so oh, funny mm. it's so real I can't believe no, no, this this is, this is perfect for a safe comedy See, it, it, is, <laughs> it is super safe I think the main reason why I've chosen it one because it's very funny and you guys are oh, okay. ridiculous for having not watched it Yeah, even the scary stuff is tame that's how safe it is <laughs> like the, the wicked witch who I think is played by Susan Sarandon even she's not that distressing I think even <laughs> Even for young kids and dudes like me. And you can even, as a dude, like a chick movie. That's how safe Enchanted is. The mild witch. (laughs) (sighs) Bring Out Baby from 1938. Have you heard about this little film? I love going to the 30s to get G-rated films. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I'm getting such judgment for, for putting together <laughs> no. a list that's so helpful for people. We're laughing. G-rated, gentlemen. G-rated. Bringing Up yeah. Baby is a screwball comedy that starred Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Um, the reason I chose this is because often films involving men and women, uh, like Rough Night that Mark talked about earlier in the show, just go straight towards smuttiness or suggestion or over-the-top antics or whatever it might be. If you go back to Bringing Up Baby from 1938, you will get a clean-cut laugh fest. It's mm. fantastic. This film says Cary Grant, as a scientist, is trying to put together a dinosaur skeleton. He's about to get married in a couple of days to a sour <laughs> puss. Instead, he meets this free-spirited woman, played by Catherine Hepburn, who makes his life really difficult, and somehow they end up singing to a leopard, and, and they go to jail, and they go on the hunt for a buried brontosaur bone. And it's hilarious. Okay. I saw this that a couple of years ago. Kind of I saw it a couple of years ago at a cinema where it was re-released again, because I wasn't around in 1938, if you can believe that. <laughs> It was <laughs> terrific. And, like, a really, though, although it almost didn't make the list because, note very well, I did say Cary Grant's character is heading towards marriage and it kind of gets busted up 
by the oh. relationship he has with this free-spirited woman. That's not that safe. And sadly, not, not indi- as funny. it does indicate that it's very hard to put together a safe comedies list because really safe movies aren't all that safe all the time. Three. And now you will laugh in my face because I've not just gone to... Well, I'm a few decades after the 30s, one decade after. I'm in 1949 now. <laughs> But I've jumped to... Fr- I've, but I've... Hey, it's Francois what? Truffaut. Close. Oh, close. Jacques Tati. How did you know? Bonsoir. Yeah. Oui, oui, Frenchie. Oh, the 1949 comedy Joie de Fée. <laughs> See, you're laughing already. What kind of weird Netflix so do you safe. have? It's so safe. All the jokes are in French. Yeah. <laughs> and this, thank you. Yeah. I can't believe you're stealing all my material. The reason I've chosen it is because it indicates the universal language of comedy. Oh. Joie de fait. I was going to go for something from like Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keating, much more famous American early comedians in, in cinema. Because Joie de Fay is a fantastic underrated film. And clearly, you guys haven't, you haven't even heard of it. You haven't even seen Enchanted, let alone uh. Joie de Fay. I'm strongly recommending to families to race out and watch this uh, story about a postman called Francois, of course, who is uh, trying to get about town on the day that the circus comes to town. He doesn't really notice that it's happening. So pratfalls ensue. There's not much dialogue, a lot of gestures and noises. And he's trying to deliver the mail super fast like they do in the heavily automated USA. International language of comedy, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, I'm Russian. And it's G-rated. Oh, I was uh, the next choice may be Russian. <laughs> Here's something you might actually have heard, not just heard of, but seen. Aladdin from yeah. 1992. Oh, okay. How you feeling? You've got us on board at number two. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that's, that's good. I that's got right. you on board. It's, <laughs> it, it, it's more like you don't understand cinema up until this point, oh, and I'm just throwing you a bone. Amy Adams enchanted. Like, yes, cinema yeah. masterpiece. Right? I'm still laughing. Aladdin, <laughs> 1992. The reason I chose this out of all the Disney back, Pixar back catalogue that possibly could have plundered from was that it's got a breakout comedy from an adult entertainer Robin Williams, mm-hmm. who is known for stuff that is not G-rated, yeah. that's not safe, but he played a motormouth wish granter in the form of Genie, and it was fantastic. Like the rest of the films, like a, a pretty good romp, and there's good um, side characters and, and villains and psychics, and good, singing, and singing, good villains in terms of the, the, the villainous. I won't even try to defend Jafar. good villains, Jafar, but. The main reason I picked it is because of Robin Williams. and Because like, I was thinking about safe comedies and I was trying to think of like earlier Disney movies. But even if you go back to like Bambi, well, you know, something pretty tragic happens in Bambi. And even if you go to Bambi films... Bambi was a comedy? If you go to like... If you go to find... Elements of Bambi were funny. Oh, you're right. That's probably why I didn't choose it. <laughs> Monsters, Inc. though, or Finding Nemo. Yeah, there's still yeah. scary or troubling elements of that. Whereas Aladdin, mm, not Nothing's so much. Nothing's going to go wrong there. But not quite as nearly as safe or as funny as... 1979, The Muppet Movie. Yeah. The Muppet Movie. Curry! Thanks. I'm glad you're with me on this journey. (laughs) I want to go to Hollywood. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Isn't that Have you not seen it? That, I, I've seen <laughs> it. I just like that. That impression was leaving me cold, like my list evidently was for the rest of you. Like up, up until this point, main reason I've chosen this is because just thinking about the Muppets like puts a smile on my face. Yeah. Um. It's this. Yeah. If for anyone who hasn't seen it, and really people sh- like sh- like should race out right now and do it if they haven't. Cross country road musical, road movie musical. Um. It's pretty mild and all ages. Even though again, there's content in it that's kind of troubling or distressing. But on the, in the scale of things, and I think it's quite appropriately G-rated, 
even with like um, adult performers doing cameos and some in jokes that that fire up and that sort of thing that could have like headed towards adult comedy, it doesn't go icky. It just moves right along. Mm. So moving I, right along. Thank moving you very right much. Along. Moving yeah. right along. Yeah. So to finish off a safe comedies list, I just wanted to point out also that I think it's a really good exercise for people to do to try to challenge themselves to find safe films to watch because it's a really nice antidote to all the sad, tough, hardcore stuff mm. many of us tend to watch. It's really quite refreshing. Go back over all the lists that I just yeah, said. Then, and but- then look at Aladdin and the Muppet movie. <laughs> <laughs> the road was long. But never lonely. It was dangerous. But never dull. Filled with unshakable friendship. Come with us to Hollywood. When you get rich and famous, maybe we'll show up and exploit your wealth. <laughs> Unforgettable faces. I just gotta catch up with those guys. And unexpected romance. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? Mm. So good. And that's all the time we have for this show tonight. Aww. What's coming up next week? What's the weirdest TV show around? Tune in and find out more about Twin Peaks. Mm, the return of Twin Peaks. Also, gentlemen, on a completely different note, the return of Pixar's car franchise is back for its third lap. And speaking of driving, I take a family trip to the drive-in before revving up for my top five car movies, which will be funnier, I suspect. Uh, <laughs> no joke, I'm going to be Ben McKechn. And I'll still be Mark Hadley. See you then. The Big Picture is a Bible Society Australia production, sharing the light of God's Word into every corner of your world. 